let me ask again, how are you guys doing today? Thank you. It's like 80 degrees out there. It's perfect. It's been an amazing weekend. Uh, Today we're going to do something a little bit differently. We are not going to have a sermon. We're going to have three. I know someone in the back is like crushed back there like, no sermon! Three? This is the worst day ever. So I'll try to get you out of here by 3 p.m., 4, somewhere time. And time for supper. How's that? Um, No, I'm kidding. We're going to do three mini messages today. And the reason that we're doing that is because we come to this part in Ecclesiastes where Solomon starts to get a little ADD-ish. And he starts bouncing from topic to topic. I think Dan Mike called it the Twitter section of the Bible. And I think that really fits well. So I was always raised kind of you meet crazy with crazy. And so we're going to try to meet ADD with ADD. And so we're going to split into three mini sermons today. All right, let's dive in. This week I, uh, I started asking a question. I started saying, what do the most satisfied people in life, what do they look like? What are the most fulfilling elements? I'm talking about like deep down gut level fulfilling and satisfying activities. So I went to the place where I always go when I want an honest answer, Instagram. And I started searching for hashtags. And the first hashtag that I searched for was highlight of my life. And I thought, okay, I'm going to start with the top. What's the best moment in a person's life? And I got all kinds of weird things. I got someone holding a baby tiger. I got a good meal. I got a date. But my favorite was the dude who said the highlight of his life was meeting Chewbacca. (laughs) I'm serious. It's a picture of him with Chewbacca. And I just want to say, get a life, man. But I didn't have the guts to post it. So I started thinking, maybe I've got to go deeper. What is the meaning of life? Maybe that's what will show me what really satisfies. So I did the hashtag, the meaning of life. And what I got was a little bit better answers. Art, self-acceptance, selfies, Pink Floyd lyrics, and a lot of food. Not even good food, guys. I'm telling you, there was someone who put a picture of an energy drink in a bag of Jack Link's beef jerky. (laughs) Hashtag the meaning of life. Pray for him. Seriously, pray for our youth. (laughs) Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. It's right in the middle of your Bible, and I think that's intentional. This book has been awesome so far. It's so practical, so relevant to our lives. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Really, there's a lot of bouncing around ADD-ishness, so we're going to take some themes. And this verse right here, I think, just is the centerpiece. This verse just encapsulates kind of one of the giant themes of not just this section, but Ecclesiastes in general. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29 says this. This only have I found. God created mankind upright But they have gone in search of many schemes. Let me say it again. This only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they've gone in search of many schemes. God created mankind upright. He created us in his image. He created us to be righteous. It should take us right back to the Garden of Eden. Where God takes dust and he forms it and he fashions it into a man and he breathes into his nostrils and he gives him life. And then he creates the crown jewel of creation. He takes the rib of man and he creates woman. 
And he looks back at it, and in Genesis 1.31, he looks at all creation. He looks at this man and this woman that he's created upright, and he's created to be in relationship with him. And he says, it's very good. This is how God made man. But then there's this word in Ecclesiastes, and it's one of the most polarizing words in the Bible. It can be my favorite word and my least favorite word, depending on the verse. And it's but. That word but sometimes brings so much joy to my heart, like Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And it's just such a good, refreshing thing. Other times, the word is the worst word in the English language. Like when you're dating a girl, and she says, I really care about you. I think you're great. You are so awesome, but. And there's nothing good that ever follows that word in that situation. You guys are laughing because you've heard it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And here we see the word but. God created mankind to be upright, but they have gone searching after many schemes. Again, we see this Garden of Eden type imagery here where God walks in the day with Adam and Eve and everything seems to be perfect. And then man says, it's not enough to be just made in the image of God. It's not enough to just have good relationship with God. I want to be God. And they begin scheming and Satan comes into the picture and he has this fruit and he he offers it up to him and he says, if you just have this fruit, you'll be satisfied. If you just have this fruit, your life will mean so much more than it means right now. You'll be like God. You'll be significant. You'll be more valuable than you are. And the thing is that we still do this all the time. And Solomon's bold enough that he actually admits to us very specifically all the different schemes that he runs after. And they're sprinkled all throughout chapters 7 through 12. You can go on kind of like an Easter egg hunt, finding them all. But I think it's a lot easier if we just go back to chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And you'll see that he lists out all the different things that he goes after here. Ecclesiastes 2, starting in verse 1. I want you, while you're going through here, if you feel comfortable, if you underline in your Bible, just underline all the different things that Solomon tries. But more importantly than even underlying, I want you to ask your heart a question as you're going through. What am I living for? What are the schemes that I'm running after, looking for satisfaction and fulfillment? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. That's our first one, to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. I said of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure, there it is again. What use is it? I searched with my heart, how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom. He says, even drunk, I knew it was a disappointment. And how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them with all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees, i.e., I built my dream home, guys. It's incredible. It has pools. It has gardens. It has vineyards. It even has a park. I went shopping, verse 7. He buys things, not necessarily what we would buy today, but I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions. I had tons of stuff. I had herds and flocks, more than anyone who had been before me in all of Jerusalem. It's always a competition, isn't it? 
We're always sizing ourselves up on everyone else. And what Solomon's saying is, I won more than anyone in Jerusalem who ever lived before me. I had more stuff. I had the cars. I had the house. I had the servants. I had the new iWatch. Yeah, the one that hasn't even been announced yet. I had it. I've got everything. And then he goes on. I also gathered for myself silver and gold. I was rich. I had the treasure of kings. Entire provinces. I had the wealth that they have. I also got singers, both men and women, and many concubines. I had a lot of sex. The delight of the sons of man. He's saying, I'm rich. I've got it all. I have more money than Rod has Michigan t-shirts. I've got it all. I'm like Bill Gates in his prime, but like studly Bill Gates that like the girls actually liked. Are you guys? So I don't know. I don't know either, guys. I'm sorry. Sometimes you write something out, and when you say it, you're like, nope, that didn't work. (laughs) Sad thing is, I already did it once. But it was helped out. There was one guy in the back who must have been a big Microsoft lover, because he just laughed way louder than everyone else, and everyone turned and looked at him. And it totally distracted from my bad joke. Okay, verse 9. So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. There's that competition piece again. Also, I was still wise. My wisdom remained with me. Are you guys seeing something? 3,000 years later, the pursuits really don't look that different today, do they? And people say the Bible isn't relevant. 3,000 years ago, and it's, it's like it's a drawing of our lives today. And here's the key, though, verse 10. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, and my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. What does this mean? It means he, he took the reins off. Anything that his eyes saw that he said, man, that looks good. I'd like to try that. I'd like to have that. He got it. Anything that anyone said, Solomon, dude, have you tried this? He went after it, and he got it. There was nothing that his heart longed for that he actually withheld from himself. Most of us, we don't have the freedom to do this. We don't have the money to do this. We don't have the time to do this. We, we can't afford this kind of a lifestyle, and there's a real shame in that. And please hear me out. I'm not saying that, man, everyone here should be rich, or everyone here should have a thousand wives and concubines. I am definitely not saying that. Don't quote me as that. The shame here is that unlike Solomon... We never get to the end of the path. The path is that maybe if I get enough money, I'll be satisfied. Or if I get enough women, or I get enough riches, or I get enough influence, or I get enough power, or I get enough status, or my reputation, or enough wisdom, whatever it is that we chase after, then I'll be satisfied. And Solomon, he gets it all. There's nothing that his heart wants. There's nothing that his eyes want that he doesn't actually get. And he gets to the end of the path, and he says, it doesn't lead anywhere, guys. It's a dead end. It's bankrupt. And the problem for us is because we don't have those kind of resources, we always just assume, man, I need riches. I'm going after riches. That's going to make me happy. I must just not have enough. I must have to go further down the path because that's where true happiness really will be found. And so we never get to the end and we always question ourselves and how far we've made it rather than the path in the first place. And Solomon says it's bankrupt. And if you don't trust him, Start reading the biographies of the most famous people or the most rich. I'm talking the super rich, the rich of the rich. Read their biographies. Read, listen to some of the songs. I'm just thinking out loud, but John Mayer's Something's Missing song. And you read these people's li- read about these people's lives and they're miserable. Not because they're rich, but because 
they got to the end of the path and they realized it doesn't satisfy. There's nothing there. So let me just ask, what are you living for today? What are you orienting your life around? What are the schemes that you're chasing? Listen to Solomon. Verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was all vanity. It was all meaningless. A striving after the wind. It's like trying to chase down the wind and catch it. No matter how fast you run, it's just elusive. There's nothing there to be had. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He's saying it's all empty. We try to find our, our satisfaction and knowledge and wealth and pleasure and work and fame and sex and influence. And you can't do it. We live our life with this if only. If only I could have this. If only that would happen to me. If only. As I say this to the youth all the time, but there are millions of things in this life that promise satisfaction. There's a million things that'll look at you and say, if you just have me or you just have this, it'll satisfy. But there's only one thing that actually does. There's a million things that promise satisfaction, but only one thing actually delivers. I actually kind of tried to become a little like Solomon, not in a good way, my first year of college. I kind of took the blinders off, and in my own way, I just said, you know what, I'm going to chase after what my eye sees and what seems appealing. And the only thing that I can say is I, I laughed a lot, I had a lot of fun, but at the end of the day, I always came home and I always described it as empty. It's like when you're really, really hungry. I'm talking like your gut hurts, you're so hungry. And the only thing you have is like a stick of gum, like a stick of juicy fruit. And it might taste like the real thing, but no matter how much you chew on it, you're still going to be just as hungry. It's empty, it's hollow, it can't satisfy because it's not made to. So let me ask a couple questions that might help you discover what are you living for. What gets you up in the morning? What do you go to bed thinking about? What follows the phrase, if only, or if I only had, I'm guessing some of us in this room have been Christians long enough that we're probably, we know the lingo a little too well that we can even lie to ourselves and and we won't explicitly say, well, I'm living for my boat. But if someone really looked at your life, they looked at where your money went, They looked at where your time went. They looked at where your thought life gravitated towards. What would they say you're living for? Millions of things promise satisfaction, but only one thing will actually deliver. So let me ask you about those schemes, those things that we chase after like Solomon. How's it working out for us? America is the most prosperous nation. We live in more comfort than any generation that's ever lived before us. We have more luxury and security, and yet depression and anxiety and divorce and despair and alcoholism are rampant everywhere because those things cannot satisfy. The key for us, I think, What's the one thing that won't leave us lacking? What's the one thing that will always satisfy? The key is to look to the opposite of Solomon, the anti-Solomon. Solomon gives up everything that he has, chasing after pleasure, chasing after wealth, chasing after status and comfort and respect. And at the end of the day, he gains nothing. 
But what he's doing is he's in the Bible and he's pointing us to someone who's greater, someone who's going to come, someone who gives up the power and the status and the comfort and the joy of heaven. And he comes down and he lives a life, he's born in a humble stable and he lives a life where he's despised and rejected and ultimately crucified. And why? Why did he give up all those heavenly blessings? He did it so that you and I could eventually have them. This only have I found. God created man to be upright. But they have gone in search of many schemes. And what a God we serve. That when we rebel, when we chase after our own schemes, and we spit on the gifts that he's given us, he comes down. And he forsakes all of those comforts and pleasures, and he lives a life of persecution and rejection so that ultimately we can be made upright. And when we really believe that, when we really get it in our hearts, it changes us. When we stop scheming and we start believing, where's your hope and your meaning found? Is it in the one who did this for you? Or is it like Solomon just looking at all the things that are found under the sun. We're going to take a minute here, and I want us just as a church to reflect on what it is that we're living for, what it is that we're looking to for our satisfaction. I want us to spend some time in confession, to spend some time just seeking God. I'll let you guys do that right now.